Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. The words to which I'd like to direct your attention this morning are found in Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, verses 10 through 21. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, all things are of you and through you and to you. And we call on you to deliver us by your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. You can't tell the story of Judas without Jesus. And you can't tell the complete story of Jesus without Judas. Psalm 41 verse 9 prophesies about this complicated relationship when it says, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Judas is the friend of Jesus who betrayed him. After the pattern of Delilah with Samson, Judas, with feet freshly cleaned by Jesus himself, turns over Jesus to the Jewish leaders with a kiss. Both Jesus and Judas are from the tribe of Judah. Jesus is from the tribe of Judah, born in Bethlehem, which was the land of Judah. And Judas is the Greek spelling of the Hebrew name Judah, which was given only to children from the tribe of Judah. Both Jesus and Judas died on a tree. One hung on a cross. The other swung from a branch. Jesus died in glory as the one who laid down his life for his friends. Judas died in disgrace as the one who betrayed his friend. Both Jesus and Judas were under curses. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, Deuteronomy 21-23 says. Jesus willingly received the curse for all those who would believe in him. Judas willingly received the curse for 30 pieces of silver. 
And both Jesus and Judas are doing business with sin. Jesus devours sin and puts away the guilt of sin for his people such that death is followed by resurrection. Judas is devoured by sin such that death is followed by disembowelment, if you read Acts chapter 1, verse 18. So here we have Judas, embittered that Mary wasted expensive oil upon Jesus' feet instead of selling it so that Judas could skim off the top before giving it to the poor. John's gospel tells us that Judas keeps the money bag. He is a thief who pilfers whatever money enters the common purse. The chief priests, as we've seen throughout Mark's gospel, are eager to kill Jesus, and they offer Judas 30 pieces of silver. Now, this is a fulfillment of a prophecy in Zechariah. Judas takes the money and leads the temple guards to Jesus. With quiet hatred, Judas identifies Jesus with a kiss and collects his fee. Afterward, Judas feels remorse and tries to return the money, but the chief priests refuse to take it since it's blood money. The money is used to buy Jerusalem real estate, which is turned into a graveyard to bury strangers, and Judas ends up there in a rather gruesome death. So why did the chief priests need Judas to arrest Jesus? Couldn't they identify and arrest Jesus whenever they wanted? And yes, they could have arrested Jesus at any point, but Mark chapter 14 verse 1 says they wanted to do it by stealth to avoid an uproar from the crowd. So they need to arrest Jesus in a less public place than the temple. Thus their partnership with Judas. They need someone to inform them of Jesus' movements and where he will be located at night when it's harder to see. And speaking of night, notice that Jesus enters Jerusalem in the daylight. Jesus' actions in the temple are in the daylight. The Olivet Discourse is in the daylight. Judas, though, betrays Jesus at night. Jesus is arrested at night and the trial takes place at night. So Judas serves as a guide to the arresting party. You see Judas officially change sides in verse 10. It says, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And there it is, that ugly word, betray. In Mark chapter 14, the word betray is used seven times of Judas. You see it in Mark chapter 14, verse 10, verse 11, verse 18, verse 21, verse 41, verse 42, and verse 44. Do you think Mark is trying to make a point? The word betray means to deliver a person into the control of someone else, handing them over to an enemy, or handing a guilty person over for punishment. Betrayal implies two things. First, it implies that Judas didn't like Jesus. Do you betray people you like? And second, it implies that he thought Jesus was guilty and that he had it coming. 
And it's important that we understand Judas's betrayal and how betrayal works. To illustrate, Geronimo, the Apache, was only captured by the U.S. military because they recruited Indians from his own band to serve as guides to show them where Geronimo's hideout was. Why would they do that? Why would those of his own band show the army where Geronimo was? Because they didn't like Geronimo and they wanted to see him go. And they were promised extra rations if they help. And so you see, the reason traitors betray someone from their own group is because they don't like them and they want to see them go. Now, there's a lot we need to learn from this passage as we focus on Judas. And as Christians, our goal is to do the opposite of Judas. Our goal is to stay loyal to Jesus. So our goal is to be an anti-Judas. And so consider four ways to become an anti-Judas. The first way to become an anti-Judas is you need to serve Jesus over money. You need to serve Jesus over money. Judas's love of money killed Jesus. Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, you cannot serve God and money. Do you wonder if Jesus glanced over at Judas when he said that? And we know that Jesus from the beginning knew Judas would betray him. John chapter 6 tells us that. And I imagine that when Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money, that he lingered, that he locked eyes with Judas to make the point. And speaking of the love of money, the Pharisees also loved money. And so these two parties work well together. These two parties who love money more than the Messiah team up to kill Jesus. And so notice how the love of money redefines you. Judas started as a disciple, but that's not how he's remembered. He's remembered as the one who betrayed Jesus. Notice how the love of money redefines you. It changes what we think of you. And what do we think of Judas? Well, in the Gospels, we're told over and over again. For example, Judas is the one who betrayed Jesus, Matthew chapter 10, verse 4. He's the one who would betray Jesus, Matthew 26, 25. Judas is the one who betrayed Jesus, Mark 3, 19. Judas is the one who became a traitor, Luke 6, 16. Judas is the one who was about to betray him, John 12, 4. Judas is the one who betrayed Jesus, John 18, 5. Judas is the one who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, Acts 1.16. Notice what the love of money does. It redefines you. Judas isn't remembered as a disciple of Jesus. He's remembered as a traitor. That's how money can redefine you. When you love money more than Jesus, it redefines you from being a disciple of Jesus to being a disciple of myopic self indulgence. The love of money is a bitter pill that leads to regret. When you are dying, money walks away from you. And Judas was tortured by regret and wanted a refund, but the chief priests gave no refund. This transaction was final, and Judas killed himself under the weight of regret and remorse. However, there is time for you. There is time for all of you 
who love money more than Jesus. There is time for you to turn back. There is time for you to change your ways and to let Jesus define you rather than your love of money define you. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so look at your life. You have time. You can do it. Look at your life and evaluate. What does your budget say you love the most? Are your current spending habits about building up the abundance of possessions? Are you generous? Are you wise? Do you control your money or does your love of money control you? And remember what Jesus said again in Luke chapter 12, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Notice that. The Father gives you the kingdom, which means the Father outgives whatever it is you can steal from the money bag. And so the first way to become an anti-Judas is you need to serve Jesus over money. The second way to become an anti-Judas is you need to repent of patterns of wickedness. You need to repent of patterns of wickedness. See, some might try to explain Judas' betrayal by saying, you know, he never had a chance. Luke 22, 3-4 says Satan entered Judas. I mean, he didn't have a chance. Satan entered into him. John 13, 2 says the devil put it into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. Judas didn't have a chance. John 13, 27 says Satan entered into Judas. Judas didn't have a chance. Some might look upon Satan's relentless assault on Judas and think, Judas, is he really responsible for his actions? I mean, Satan entered into him. Satan made him do it. Judas had no chance. He's not responsible for what he did. But the truth is, is that Satan picked Judas for a reason. There were patterns in Judas's life. Judas opens the door to Satan with his unrepentant pattern of sin. Judas is a thief who steals from the money bag. This wasn't a one-time thing. This began at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. Jesus's ministry lasted three years. And so Judas persists in this sin for three years without confession or repentance. Judas holds tightly to his sin. He keeps it a secret. He sits at the Lord's table knowing he will betray Jesus. And Satan enters into him. You see, secret and unconfessed sin, these kinds of patterns of wickedness, this is an invitation to Satan. When people are walking in the light of Jesus, when people are walking in the fellowship with Jesus and with his people, the door is closed to Satan. Jesus overcomes your sin nature, conquering your sinful resistance in order to save you. That's what Jesus can do to your soul. He can save you. He can change you. Satan cannot overcome the souls of the faithful. Satan cannot conquer your righteousness and turn you away from Christ. Satan doesn't have that kind of power. So look at your life and evaluate. Are there patterns of sin 
developing in your life? Are there patterns of sin developing in your marriage or in your family? Are there patterns of sin in terms of how you treat your spouse? Are there patterns of sin in terms of how you treat your brothers and sister? Are you ignoring those patterns of sin? Are you hiding those patterns of sin? Or are you being honest about them? Are you confessing them to the Lord and to the offended party and asking for forgiveness? And remember what 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so to be an anti-Judas, you need first to love Jesus more than money, and second, you need to repent of patterns of wickedness, because those are an invitation to Satan. Third, to become an anti-Judas, you need not follow the Judases in your life. You need not follow the Judases in your life. See, most human beings are copycats. They are influenced by those around them. But notice, the rest of the disciples don't betray Jesus just because Judas did. And a lot of Christians today seem worried about deconversion stories, especially the high-profile ones. So conversion is turning from sin to Christ. Deconversion, as it's now called, is when someone turns from Christ. And there's been several, many high-profile deconversions in the last 15 or 20 years in the church. And here's the usual story. Someone defects from the faith. They then explain, usually on social media, how Christians are hypocrites and Christianity is full of contradictions. And then Christians everywhere worry that they're going to influence other people to walk away from the faith. But you need to see that deconversion is nothing new. This isn't a new phenomenon that just hit us because of social media. Deconversion is nothing new. Judas was the first deconversion story. Judas was one of the 12 disciples, and he betrayed Jesus. Just because Judas apostatized doesn't mean the disciples should. When someone leaves the faith... You have to guard against not being influenced by them. It seems juicy. It's like they have special insight because they saw it for what it really was, and then they turned. And that has a sort of persuasive effect on us. Judas walked with Jesus for three years. Jesus was the perfect model of faith for Judas. Judas received better teaching than your children will receive. Judas had a better model to follow than your children have to follow. Jesus, or Judas had the best environment possible for discipleship. Judas heard the Sermon on the Mount live. He was there listening, looking into Jesus' eyes when Jesus said this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. You know who Jesus is talking about, right? He's talking about Judas. 
Jesus was most immediately in that passage talking about Judas. Judas heard the warning intended for him with his own ears. Judas is the one who cast out demons in the name of Jesus. Judas did mighty works in the name of Jesus, and yet he still betrayed Jesus after he heard the warning meant for him with his own ears. It's hard to understand. And it's hard to understand how a young person raised by godly parents in the context of a healthy church can give up on Jesus. But I've seen that too. The theologian Colin Smith points out that Judas teaches us that even the best example, the most compelling evidence, and the finest teaching, the ultimate environment for nurturing and incubating faith, cannot in and of itself change the human heart. So look at your life and evaluate and ask, do I understand the complexity of the human heart? Or do I think that these processes and these systems and this curriculum is going to change the heart of my child? Ask yourself, do I understand that sometimes people do incomprehensible things, such as abandon the faith they once professed? And remember the words of Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So you need not follow the Judases in your life. And fourth and finally as we close, the fourth way to be an anti-Judas is you need to hold to your baptism. See, Judas left everything to follow Jesus. Luke chapter 9 tells us that Jesus gave all of the 12 disciples, including Judas, remarkable spiritual gifts. Judas made a commitment to Christ. He was numbered among the disciples. But then he walked into darkness. And it's important that you see that nothing good comes from giving up on Jesus Christ. And so if you are here today and you've been baptized in the triune name of God, I urge you to hold to your baptism. When you walk by faith in Christ through the power of the Spirit of Christ, you receive all the blessings of the covenant. When you reject Christ, like Judas rejected Christ, you receive all the cursings of the covenant. And so look at your life and evaluate. Am I guarding my heart lest I drift away? Am I serving those in the covenant community to help them from drifting away? And as we close, remember the words of Jude, verse 22 and 23. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear. Let's close by praying together. See our shield, O God, and look on the face of your anointed Jesus Christ. With a voice from heaven, you declared yourself well-pleased in Christ. Father, in Christ, be well-pleased with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.